A few weeks ago, when Brady was preaching, he started his message with a true story that was not historical. So this morning, I would like to start my message with two stories that are true and historical, and uh, with permission. A number of years ago, there was a young woman and a young man who attended Richwoods High School over in Peoria. She was prom queen, and he was a record-setting athlete. And they kind of were interested in each other, and then as time went on, they graduated, went to college, and after college, they got together, were engaged, and were married. Successful careers, kind of the all-American couple, you might say. But as time went on, they kind of were living their own life. They drifted apart, and they finally decided, why should we be married if we're living separate lives? No real animosity or, or major issues, just why be married? So they decided to get a divorce. And about this time, this young wife, they were water skiing, and she had an accident and dislocated her hip and was immobilized and couldn't take care of herself. Well, you can't get a divorce when the wife needs her husband to take care of her. And so finally when she was able to be healed enough to to take care of herself, it was getting close to the holidays. Well, you know, you can't get a divorce right before the holidays. It would destroy their family's joy over because they were carrying on a pretty good charade. Everything seemed on the surface to be fine. So they decided, well, we'll just wait till after the holidays. And they got through Christmas, came New Year's Eve, and they were just about ready to be done with the holidays and be done with this marriage. And another couple asked them to, hey, let's get together New Year's Eve. And they weren't really excited about it, but how could they say no? I mean, it's really insignificant in our lives. And so they got together, and that that couple shared the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God started speaking to their hearts. Each one by themselves, because they really weren't communicating that well. And the young wife decided, I want to give my life to Jesus. And the young husband, in his own heart, decided, I want to give my life to Jesus. And they did. And they decided, each independently, that they wanted to serve Jesus. They wanted Jesus to heal their lives. They repented of their sins. 
And you know, a strange thing happened is the Spirit came and worked in their lives and, and broke down walls. They fell back in love. And pretty soon, they had a young son named Luke. And then another son named Nate. And then a daughter named Alyssa. And then Luke married Debbie, and Nate married Bethany, and Alyssa married Dan. And they had kids raised in the love of Jesus because of an insignificant evening, New Year's Eve, many years ago. And what a blessing to our congregation and to our community that insignificant evening has been. There's another story, true. This one happened thousands of years ago. There was this, this preacher, this, this rabbi, this, this guy that was saying things that were amazing. And everybody would flock to hear this, this rabbi speak. Was he a prophet? Is he the Messiah? And there was a young boy that wanted to go hear him. I don't, we don't know his age. I always picture junior high-ish. And so he was going to go hear this, this rabbi speak. And his mom said, no, wait a minute. You got to take your lunch. So she packed him five slices of bread and a couple dried up fish and sent him on his way. An insignificant lunch. Really not much there, enough to get him to eat the day. And he went and heard this rabbi speak. Powerful words. And then all at once, this stranger walked up to him and said, Hey, do you have any food? Well, I have this insignificant little sack. He said, we'll take that. And the rabbi, the speaker, the Messiah blessed that lunch. And thousands and thousands were fed. Do you feel insignificant this morning? Not a preacher. You can't carry a tune to lead worship. You don't have a great knowledge of the Bible. God wants to use you for something that is significant. Let's pray. Lord, in your word, may your word speak to our hearts. Your letter to the church of Philadelphia. Of all the churches, it was maybe the most insignificant of all. And yet, you chose them. Lord, may we, who call you our Messiah, who call you our Savior, who call you our Lord, no matter our talents, our knowledge, our insignificance, Lord, you're the one that opens the doors. Use us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're going through...
the letters to the churches of Revelation. We are on the church of Philadelphia. Uh, I believe it's 1029 in the Pew Bible. And as we, we have been going through these letters to the churches, a couple of points, you know, as we, as we study these, we might say, you know, these are obviously letters to churches that were active in that day. And they were specifically to those churches. But obviously, as all of Scripture, it's, it's also written to us today. And, and I've heard Bible scholars say, well, that each, each of these churches represents a church age in the last 2,000 years. That's kind of the, as the church of Christ as a whole goes through and has changed and grown it kind of that, and you might say it represents uh, the spiritual condition of of denominations or a local church, or it's speaking to the spiritual condition of each one of us as individuals. And so that's what I'd kind of like to focus on this morning: is not the church North Northfield or whatever, even the church as a whole, but where am I as an individual spiritually? What is this letter speaking to me? And I think to get an idea as I have pondered this passage, this letter, to me, the standout verse that I would like to focus on is verse 8. And so we need to understand a little bit the, the, the condition of, of the church of Philadelphia. And it basically, the end of verse 8 says, I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, as oftentimes as I had read this, I, I, you would think you would consider that the church of Philadelphia was spiritually weak. Little power, uh, I think King James, some of the other versions, so you have little strength. And this word, power or strength, however it is in your uh, Bible, the Greek word is dunamis. And it's used 120 times in the Bible, in the New Testament. And it's translated different, different words. It's one of those words that it's kind of hard to, to be word for word English to Greek. But it, it's, sometimes it's, it's translated as power, as strength, as ability. And most of the time, as it's, it's a mighty power, it's a strength, it's talking about God through us. But there's a couple times when it's talking about the power, the ability of the humans. And I think that is the church of Philadelphia here. Because as, as we study the, the letter as a whole, obviously they were not weaklings. They were not spiritually weak. So what is it? I think the, the clearest may be uh, parallel trans, uh, 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 to get the idea what, what describing this word would be found in Matthew 25, 15. It's called the parable of the talents. And it's Jesus teaching, if you're familiar with it, it's, it's to one, one of his servants he gives five talents, uh, to another two talents, 
and to another one talent. And then it says, each according to his ability. Each according to his dunamis. Each according to his strength. And I think if you're familiar with the Bible, the, 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 the one that gets five, he invests it, and he has five more. And the one that has two, he invests it, and he gets two more. And then the, the one that gets one, I mean, this is insignificant. I, why would I risk it? It's only, I can't do much with it, and he buries it. In contrast to that parable, to that one that got one talent because of his ability, I don't think it's a stretch to say Philadelphia, the Church of Philadelphia, was one of them that got one talent. But they didn't bury it. It may have been insignificant in the eyes of those that looked from the outside. But God opened the doors. So let's read this letter. And I, I would just make one other comment as we study these letters. Uh, if you have a red letter Bible, you will notice that these letters are in red, which is a Bible, when they have a red letter Bible, it's the words of Jesus are in red. And the rest of scriptures in black. And I think we, you know, these are the words of Jesus just as much as the Gospels of Matthew, of Luke, Mark, and John. Starting with verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth, I am coming soon, hold fast that you have Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, this is Jesus speaking directly to the church of Philadelphia. The words of the Holy One, the True One. Do we begin to comprehend Jesus' holiness? His perfection? His flawless? You know, as I've strive to, to serve the Lord for virtually all my life. 
One of the things that he keeps working on me is his perfection and my unperfection. He wants us to be holy as he is holy. That's part of the gospel. That's why he died and rose from the dead. To conquer sin. And that we may conquer sin. And I know it's a process and it's a lifelong journey. And only in that day will we see him as he is. Will we be made perfect. But is that your goal? Is that your motivation? Not to gain his his acceptance because of what he did for us. What he did for me. I sometimes marvel that he gave me the parents he gave. That he gave me the friends he gave. That he gave me the the church that I grew up in. By his grace that do I even know of him. He is holy. He is true. He is the true one. Has there ever been a more difficult time than today to know truth? It it amazes me how quickly opinion can become truth. Even I'm subject to it. Well, because of my experience, because of the way I was raised, I think this. So I go on the internet and I find an expert to back me up and it's true. I mean, just, just consider COVID. Is there, I don't know what's true. And you don't either. This is true. God's word is true. It held the test of time for thousands of years. It has been scrutinized and brutalized and misrepresented. And and it's the whole, not just parts of it that you can pull out and, and decipher a new truth. It's very easy for opinion to become truth. Jesus declares in John 1, 9, he is the true light. He's how we can see where we're going. You know, the older you get, the dimmer the eyes get, and the more light you need. I've started at work, I just carry a flashlight in my pocket. Because if there's a shadow, if, there's a, if I'm trying to see detail, I need light. We all need light to see our way. Jesus is the light. He's the true bread, John 6, 32 and 33. He is our sustenance. He is our, that's where we get our strength. That's how we live. It's not the next new thing. It's not everybody's opinion on the internet. 
He's the bread. He's our sustenance. And he's the true vine, John 15, 1 and 4. He's the anchor of our lives. He's what keeps us from being torn away in the storms. He's the true vine. And he declares this to the church of Philadelphia. He is the key of David. You know, we don't really understand a true king authority. We read about it in the Bible that even the kings of the in, the, in the biblical times, if they would make a decree and sign it and seal it, even they could not change it. It was it. We read about it in King Darius in Daniel in the lion's den. He made a decree, and all at once he realized how wrong it was. And he could not change it. Asherus, or however you pronounce his king, and Queen Esther was his queen, and he made a decree that the Jews could be killed, and he couldn't change it. So then he made another decree that the Jews could, could uh, defend themselves. Jesus is the key of David. Absolute authority. He holds the key. He's the one that opens the doors and shuts the doors. It's not our faith. It's not our knowledge. It's not our sacrifice. It's not our service. It's not our talents. He alone holds the key to open and close. Does that mean we should not seek more faith? Absolutely not. Does that mean we should not seek more knowledge of his word? Of course we should. Does that mean we should not sacrifice our cords? We should. He's called us to sacrifice. But that's not what opens and closes the door. He does. And so even in the insignificant events, the insignificant people that go through the open doors that God has opened, he does great things. have little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name let's be let's be honest do you ever get intimidated about serving Jesus sharing Jesus that you don't quite have the right words you don't have the ability uh, you're shy you're an introvert Maybe I'll just live a good life and bury my talent. God, to be his ambassador. To share his love and his gospel with those around us. There's nothing in God's body, in his church, of, church, of just bench sitters now we can't all preach and we can't all teach 
But have you been saved from your sin? Has your life been changed? Is there a more powerful message than that in this world? We can share it. They did not deny his name. They upheld his name. They kept his word. You know, they didn't have Billy Graham as their pastor. John MacArthur wasn't their Bible teacher. Mercy Me didn't lead worship. See, we're, we're attracted to the wow factor, aren't we? Let's, say, let's admit it, we're human. The, the spectacular, the talent. And God, there are gifted people that take his word forth and speak to thousands and tens of thousands and millions. God's word in, in is, is, talks about those that are pastors and those that are evangelists and those that are and the gifts and the talents. But God loves to use the insignificance. God loves to use you. God loves to use me. To frame. And he has opened the doors. He has turned the key and opened the doors for you. The, some of the, the, the commentators and stuff, they, they were discussing the opening and the closing of the doors. And Well, is it talking about salvation? Or is it talking about ministry and service? And I say yes. He holds the key. But, Don, I fail so often. It just doesn't seem like it does any good. I've tried it. I share the gospel with my friend. You know, I've tried to, to, to help somebody, and it just seems like it, it never works for me. I often think of the parable of the sower and the seed. As many of you know, I'm a farmer and uh, planted a lot of seed in my life. And I often think uh, that, that parable that Jesus spoke, that, that guy wasn't a very good farmer. I mean, 75% of the seed he sowed didn't produce any fruit. Some of it never even made it out of the ground. It was a failure. It was a crop failure except for those that did. We don't have control over the doors that open and close. You know, that, crisp, that New Year's Eve that night, that couple heard that message. I'm almost sure that was not the first time they've heard that message. But that was the time the Spirit opened the door of their heart. See, he's not asking us to make this. He's asking us to sow it. 
And so often we, we look at the, the TV evangelists, the, the, the popular ones, the, the, the mega church pastors, and God uses many of them in mighty ways. But over my lifetime, some of the very men and women that I have learned from and appreciated and grown from have fallen by the wayside. Sad. And not that God didn't use them, but Satan uses them too. So let's not be enamored with the wow factor of humans. Let's be enamored with the wow factor of God that can take the insignificant lunch and feed thousands, can take the insignificant little maiden girl telling her master that there's a prophet in my home country that can heal your leprosy. Don't be intimidated. Young people, don't be intimidated that somehow God can't use you. He wants to use you in school, in your family, with friends, maybe in the church. You don't know what encouragement it is for other people. To see you loving Jesus. It gives us strength. It gives us a renewed hope. Don't bury it. Young moms and dads, what a privilege you have to nurture your children for Jesus. Make it priority. It doesn't matter if they're all-star athletes or financial Wizards, when they grow up, it matters that they love Jesus. That's what matters. It's very simple. Doesn't take a lot of talent. It takes Jesus to open the doors. Just a couple of quick comments on the the next few verses. The synagogue of Satan, those that are Jews and are not, it's basically... People that take a portion of religion, a portion of truth, and distort it and nullify the gospel of Jesus. And it's no different today. We can see it from all different sides. Watering down the gospel, just taking pieces of it. Even Satan, when he tempted Jesus, used scripture. Let's not be deceived because in the end, those that are obedient will win out. And even the false people will see. Because you have kept my word from about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I think this is going to be an encouraging verse. You know, we, I know I'm not an expert at all on prophecy, especially on revelations. What a confusion. 
But, and, and as I've listened to different people, you know, the tribulation and the, the rapture, and is it tribulation in the middle of the tribulation? Is it after the tribulation? And obviously there are people in tribulation today for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people being killed. There are people being losing their businesses. There are people being ostracized. They're losing their families. Persecution. Thrown in jail. But there is a tribulation coming that is going to make COVID look like a walk in the park. And that phrase, those who dwell on the earth, that, that we, those that are faithful will be saved from that. I will keep you from that hour of trial. Is those that dwell on the earth is, is a phrase used over and over in Revelations, speaking of the great tribulation. So I think there's, there's some comfort here that we will be saved from that awful hour, from that awful time. Hold fast what you have. Again, encouragement. You may think you're insignificant in God's work, in God's kingdom. You are not. You are not. You don't, you have no idea. Do you think that that couple that, that came and, and shared with Bill and Becky that New Year's Eve had any comprehension of the significance of that evening? The significance today in our church, in our community? And here's, I think, one of the exciting parts. Verse 12, the one who conquers... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Amazing that he would add that to his letter to the church of Philadelphia. This one that was really lacking strength and power, was lacking the wow factor. They're the ones that are going to be the pillars. There's only a couple of references about, uh, about people being pillars in, in God's temple. One is in uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, and there it's just the church in general will be the pillar. And then an interesting one in Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 9, and this is Paul speaking, and he got a blessing, basically got endorsement from James and Cephas, who was Peter, and John, that he and Barnabas would go and speak to the Gentiles, take the message to the Gentiles. They got endorsed by these, and it says, who seemed to be pillars of the church. But here is this insignificant church, these insignificant people, that are declared pillars. What would this be without you guys? Do you realize how important you are in God's kingdom? Do you realize how, how significant 
you are. Do you realize people's eternal lives are at stake of how you live your life, how you share with them? God wants to use you. And I know it's not all wonderful. I know there were times when Heidi and I, years ago when we worked at the cabin and we would try to to minister to kids. And we finally, one time I remember a discussion, maybe we should stop trying to help these kids because they just seem to get worse. It's not us, up to us for the seed to grow. It's up to us to plant it. God has called you, no matter how insignificant you view yourself in in the scope of his kingdom, he has called you, and he's the one that opens the doors. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 1, verse 26. For your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Jesus Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that and let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God's, job, God's got a job for you. God has called you to be as an ambassador. You have a story to sell of a miracle in your life, of a sinner condemned to death, brought to life let's be faithful and not bury our one talent I'm going to pray and then the, as I'm praying the, the worship team will come up and we'll close in a song yeah, many of us consider ourselves insignificant in your kingdom And Lord, that's right where you want us because you want to be significant in our lives. But it's so easy to just bury what we have, what you have done for us. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the strength. Lord, show us the open doors that you have opened for us to serve you and to serve others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.